Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everybody, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski. Thank you so much for joining us on episode number 129 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Today's guest is a professional poker player, coach, author, and fellow podcaster. On today's show, we'll talk about his career as a player, as well as his multiple other poker pursuits, in particular, his latest book, The Final Table, as we get to know him better in general. Gareth James, welcome to the Cards Chat Podcast. Well, what an intro. I uh, I should come on more often after that. That's great. But thanks so much for having me on. Got to bring the fire. It's good. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> I was about to know, like we were talking just a little bit before off camera, I was thinking, you know, I feel like we've known each other for a good few years, but I don't think we've ever actually had like a, a conversation that wasn't like digital or typed before. Is that right? I think we may have had like maybe 20 words at Unibet. <laughs> uh Bucharest I think that's where we first met oh that sounds um, right yeah in Roma, I think so it was like uh, I five think years probably, ago or something yeah it was it was a, certainly a long while ago. yeah it was it was 2018 yeah so wow uh yeah I think we like briefly chatted then I think that was the first time in real life but uh-huh. after that yeah it was just uh goodness all, all on on the internet yeah the internet is a is certainly a magical thing and I'm glad that uh, it brings people together and gives us uh opportunity to like these. I mean, that's always say not to, it's not about me folks, you know, these cards chat podcasts, but I will say <laughs> what I really genuinely enjoy is, you know, when else do you get the opportunity? Even if you're at like the world series of poker where everyone's there, everyone's always busy and doing stuff. And like, when you get to clear an hour and have a wonderful conversation with people, really get to know them. Uh, it's a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to this and thanks for making the time, Gareth. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. I'm excited. Cool. Um, so I know you started coaching back in 2012, but I'm wondering when you first started playing poker and what it was that sort of, I guess, drew you to the game in the first place. Yeah, so I graduated from uni. I did a degree in music and my housemate was playing on full tilt, uh, playing sit and goes on, on full tilt. And I said, what, you know, what are you, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm playing this, this game online. You can play it for money. It's great. And so I thought, oh, brilliant. And I've always, you know, at that age, I was 21. And I thought, uh, this looks, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm all for like, you know, get rich quick schemes at at the age of of 21. I I really wanted to be a record producer and and songwriter. That was that was my thing. But that wasn't something that you could open the newspaper and find a job advert for. Right. Um, So (laughs) I decided to work. Um, I was living in Leeds. I still live in Leeds. But um, I was living in Leeds at the time and and uh, I was working at Leeds University just as a, you know, uh, doing doing admin, uh, admin work, basically, whilst trying to write and produce and, and do that kind of thing. But my housemate uh, that, at that time then was playing on full tilt. And uh, yeah, I, I was uh, excited to see that what this was. And so I you know, got into it. I'd put $10 on. I was very risk averse. I mean, I probably still am. Uh, I put ten dollars on. I'd lose ten dollars. I'd put another ten dollars on. I'd lose ten dollars. And a I'd familiar trope. I feel like yeah. I've, I, I've, a lot of people have done the same thing. Keep uh, keep doing this. And I was playing cash games, and I had no really no idea. And then, but I remember my my housemate was playing sit and goes, and I thought, okay, mm. let's there's got to be some some books or something on this. So I, I started to, to to look into it, and there was yeah, there were a few sit and go books at the time. I think it was Colin Moshman's uh, sit and go strategy uh, was one of the first ones. 
Uh, there was another sit and go book, but I can't remember what it was called, but it was really, it was really, really good. Um, so I should really remember the name, but it was a yeah, a long time ago now. So right. I, I got into that and, and gradually so suddenly thought, oh, I can actually, you know, I'd learned a few strategies from a book and then I could apply them. And, and I built up, you know, a few thousand dollars on, on a few sites. Um, and, and that was great. Um, and I, you know, left cash games behind. I thought, yeah, uh-huh. uh, clearly cash. I've, I've tried to go back to cash games. I've never, it never really gives me the same excitement and buzz as mm. tournaments do. You know, as you go through a tournament, like the, it's exciting, lots of different stages to the tournament. Uh, and that happened in sit and goes as well. Um, I was playing one table sit and goes, then two, you know, 18 man and 45 mans and, and one 80 mans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, I thought, oh, these tournaments have a massive, you know, these big field tournaments have big first prizes. Maybe I should, you know, look into that. Mm-hmm. So I started playing a few tournaments and then uh, I think I won a $2 turbo on, on PokerStars for like $2,000. Yeah, thought, wow, that's a lot is, of money. Uh, Two bucks investment, yeah. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And it, it was one of those, uh, I mean, it was a ridiculous final table. I can still remember the hand now where I got all in with ace-queen against ace-king and the flop came ace-king x I'm like, all right, well, I'm out. And then the right. turn was a queen and the river was a queen. <laughs> wow. Also, you're, you're that guy. So you're yeah. that guy. I'm, I'm okay. that guy who just <laughs> ran incredibly well in, in one of the first tournaments he played and then uh, uh-huh. and spun, it, spun it up from there. <laughs> wow. So uh, you mentioned uh, Colin Moshman. We got the shout out. Uh, he was uh, He's actually a Cards Chat ambassador. Um, okay. And he was uh, interviewed way, way back on episode number 12. Uh, so, folks, you know, just a reminder, we've got a good 120 plus episodes you can listen to uh, if you haven't yet uh, after you finish uh, this one. So from what I'm getting from everything you said about how you got into poker, built up the bankroll, it seems that money was really like kind of the driving force and sort of like I wanted to make money. It was nothing else about the game or are you a games player or like into competition or is it really just like, you know, coin got to make money? Yes, I mean, that's a great question. I played a lot of sport growing up. I played football, cricket, mm. um, and, you know, whatever racket sports were available. So tennis, squash, badminton. Um, and I hate losing. So there's, there's, <laughs> a, there's definitely a competitive element. And it's interesting now, I, ch- I chat to uh, Dr. Trisha Cardner on our podcast about how, if you, you know, if you're really competitive and you hate losing, you probably shouldn't play MTTs because that's what you do. You know, you, you lose most of the time. Uh, but when you do win, obviously it's uh, it's great. So I think it's yeah, that's quite quite interesting. But I'm really competitive. I hate losing. Um, and I certainly as I've you know got older, I've used that sort of disappointment of losing uh, as fuel to you know to uh, to improve. In terms of in terms of money versus uh, competition, though, I think to begin with, it certainly was about about money. I, as I said before, I like the get rich quick and and an easy way to uh, to make a living would would have yeah. been you know would have been would have been great, especially, you know, I was, work- as I said, I was working, doing admin at Leeds University and, um, yeah, wasn't very lucrative, for uh-huh. sure. <laughs> uh, uh, and so that having an opportunity to, you know, sit at home uh, and play online poker to to make some money was good. And then when that did actually start to happen, it, you know, yeah, some things went off in my head. But by that point, I was uh, training to be a teacher and okay. then I became a, became a teacher. So it's quite difficult to, to do that, uh, do those two things together. Although there was a time... When I used to teach all day, come home, grind online, go to bed, rinse and repeat. Uh-huh. And I'll be honest, it wasn't the best time. I I had recently just broken up with uh, my girlfriend at the time, so it was uh, a pretty low low point in that sense. And I wouldn't 
I wouldn't recommend it to anybody listening to this. You know, um, it's not it's not the thing to do. Is to you know, I had no time off. I was literally teaching, Mm -hmm. grinding, teaching, grinding, and then yeah, uh, yeah, not yeah, that wasn't good. So it's interesting because obviously there's uh, quite the teaching element to what you do nowadays. You're not only a professional poker player, but also author, instructor, that uh, in a podcast, that sort of a thing. You know, at what point did you sort of say to yourself, like you said, you wanted to be a music producer? At what point did your success and you know the amount of money that you were making sort of make something click in your head like hey maybe this is a path that I can make a living at and also you know part two of that is you know at what point did you realize hey you know there's variance to poker I need to diversify and have not you know just depend on the turn of a card for my income yeah so I I was when I was teaching obviously I had a you know really stable income and that was that was fine and poker was very much like a side hustle uh, something mm-hmm. i was you know, i enjoyed doing in the in the holidays when it became more of a healthy uh, pursuit it wasn't right. you know on an evening uh, it was maybe in the school holidays uh, or the weekends then it was uh, yeah it was just a, a side income and i was building my role up at the same time as being a teacher so i didn't ever have to worry about my poker paying the my expenses because yeah, i had a full time full time job Sure. But there was a there was a point when I thought I have a big enough role now I could do this. Um, but I actually decided to go around the world. Um, that was the that was in 2012. Mm-hmm. That was the the life changing moment. Everyone talks about you know you've got to go around the world. I I'd gone from you know from going to school at the age of four to all the way to school into university, working at the university, teacher training into teaching. And had there was no time off. Everyone said you've got to have a gap year. Or you've got to have some time to go and traveling. Traveling will change change your life. And I mm-hmm. thought just thought no 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 I need to work. I need to do this this. Uh, and then I went traveling, and it completely mm-hmm. changed my perspective of things. And it was at that point I thought, well, I love playing poker. I'm making mm-hmm. serious money from poker, and I can um, I love teaching. So maybe I can combine this. So I came back from traveling and decided, okay, but. You know, I talked about being risk averse mm-hmm. earlier on. I thought, but I can't fully commit to this. I need to teach still. So I got I got another teaching job. Uh, so oh, I was really? teaching a in proper teaching job. Yeah, yeah. I was teaching in London. So yeah, I was teaching in London. Left that job to go around the world. Came back and got a job in Leeds. Uh, that's that's where I live now. Um, mm-hmm. So basically, came back to where I was at university, uh, and and got a, yeah another teaching job. Um, uh, but at the same time, I was just basically it was just growing my, my coaching business and the online role. So I still there was no there was no stress at that time because mm. I, again I had a full time job, which was great because I could just build the role, I could build the coaching business, and then there came a point when I thought I don't want to teach anymore. I want to mm. do I want to do poker. Right. So and it actually came in ve- that moment came in Vegas. I just busted a tournament and <laughs> I just collapsed on the bed and I thought. I wasn't disappointed. I wasn't that disappointed. I thought this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. And I've got, I've set everything up in the last few years to be able to, right. um, to, to do that. So I went home, wrote my resignation letter and you know, six weeks later, I was, uh, at, you know, going on my own. That's um, pretty cool. That's amazing. Uh, you mentioned this, uh, round the world trip. What are some of your treasured memories? Obviously besides, you know, that this was the turning point in your life, but just from going out and seeing the world after kind of, you know, sort of being locked mm. into the, 
the straight and narrow path up until then, what are some of your favorite places that you saw in, in you know, memories that you have? So I flew from Heathrow to uh, Bangkok and the, it was a bit of a culture shock. And mm. I, knew, I knew it would be, but that's almost what I wanted. I wanted to be outside of my comfort zone. And, mm. and ever since then, I've tried to push myself outside my comfort zone. So, you know, two days ago, I ran my first ever 10K. I've never run more than 5K before. I decided, right, I'm going to run a 10K. Um, that goal I actually set back in 2018. So it was good okay. to actually finally nice. <laughs> finally achieve it. Um, but I always want to push myself to do things that are that are tough um, and outside, outside the comfort zone. So anyway, I got to Bangkok and I did a trip through Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore. Um, I would say Malaysia. I would say I think the places we went in Thailand were very touristy. Okay. Very yeah, and I feel like Malaysia was just a little bit more chilled out, um, mm -hmm. and it's a different, slightly different culture, and yeah, I absolutely loved Malaysia. Singapore is got to be the cleanest place, tidiest place I've ever yeah. been um, <laughs> by, by law. But yes, I <laughs> know <laughs> exactly. But um, and they said you know don't drop litter, don't chew gum. You know uh -huh. there are uh, plain clothes police officers. Yeah, I don't know whether this is true, but um, <laughs> we didn't <laughs> didn't want to risk it. Um, but there's, uh, yeah, and then I, yeah, so I, I loved Southeast Asia. I love um, the the food. Uh, that mm -hmm. was that was great. And the weather, you know, as someone who lives in rainy England, it was uh, right. was, was really sure. was really nice. Not so maybe quite good for my pasty skin, but you know, it was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was there, it was amazing. And then from there, I flew to Australia and did the whole East Coast, like down from Cairns through oh, wow. Magnetic Island. Uh, where else did we go? Like Fraser Island, um, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne. Uh, yeah, came came underneath, and then um, yeah, I went to New Zealand, and then I would say that New Zealand was the the most amazing place. Uh, it's very similar, I think, to Canada. Okay. I've been to Canada quite a few times. Uh, I've got some friends in Vancouver, so I love love Canada. I love the outdoors, uh, the sort of the yeah. You know, so you can do so many so many different activities in 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 Vancouver, from you know going to the beach and but going going up to Whistler and skiing, and maybe even in the same day. Mm -hmm. um, and there's yeah you can go hike do hikes and and uh, there's a there's a lake in Vancouver um it's uh, I can't remember what the lake's called I'm sure it's maybe Garibaldi but that might be the mountain actually okay. but anyway we did this hike up to there and it's just it's stunning uh, people listening who know that will know that I've probably butchered that but <laughs> never mind um but New Zealand so having been to Vancouver and uh, I thought well you know Canada in in general is just just brilliant. New Zealand is very much the same. It's very chilled out, very peaceful. Yeah. Um, lots of sheep. Lots of <laughs> lots of sheep, <laughs> uh, but also lots of opportunity to do things that are crazy. So on one day, I actually did a whitewater, whitewater rafting for the first time and then a skydive. Um, and I don't think I slept for about two weeks. After. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so that's certainly out of uh, most people's comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that was, yeah, it was, uh, it was amazing on the wild water raft. We went down a seven meter waterfall and the, uh, the raft actually like sort of collapsed on itself, but I was in the middle. So the, the raft basically just fell on me. Um, and I, but I stayed in and the person next to me stayed in, but everybody else was Ooh. in the water. Wow. <laughs> so we were just trying to get, you know, get everybody back on, uh, to the. So, so I have to say, you kind of set up my next question in a, in a perfect way. And I was going to ask it anyway, but. You know, you've talked about, you know, with with great fondness, you seem to be talking about this year that you took traveling and loving the outdoor activities, being outside your comfort zone. 
Gareth, anyone who looks at your Hendon mob profile would clearly realize that with fewer than a dozen results, you're primarily an online poker player. Obviously, as, you, as you've yeah. spoken, what is it that attracts you so much to online poker? And I have to say, specifically, as you clearly do enjoy a good bit of travel in the outdoors that, you know, more like the live professional poker player would seemingly do as far as traveling the circuit. So why online? Well, in terms, I just, I mean, online is very much like you can just be at home and, and you've got all the, the comforts of home. Uh, when it comes to live, if I want to spend money, because when you go and play a live tournament, it's not just the buy-ins that you need to be thinking about. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to be thinking about hotel, food, and sure. travel. Overhead, yeah. All of these things. And I think if I'm going to spend that much money to go somewhere, I want to be doing it with my wife or mm. my friends. Uh, and go and have an experience so spend for me spending thousands of of pounds you know i'd sooner go and have a have an experience go around the world or go um you know go to great places that we haven't we haven't been yet so uh -huh. for me it, if i'm going to spend a lot of money it's going to be on experiences rather than tournaments uh I, you yeah. know I've, I've i've been to to vegas five times i've done the world series four times i think mm -hmm. um and when you when you come back and you realize, I mean, I spent eight hundred dollars on taxis, like Ubers. Whilst Ooh, I was that's a lot of. I thought, yes. Okay, well, that's you know, what, okay, yeah, I could probably stay closer to the strip, um, but then you don't get the, you know, you don't get the to be able to cook for yourself and and, and get sure. those kind of things. So you end up eating uh, food that's not, you know, not so not so good. So Lots for me, of it's, ramen. it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's, for me, it's more about experience rather than. Um, yeah, so online, you know, mm -hmm. the ex the overheads and expenses are are, are much lower. I've already right. got, you know, already have my house and right um, internet connection, the internet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't have to go out. I don't have to fly there. I don't have mm -hmm. to uh, pay for. Um, yeah, it's much cheaper to have food. Uh, sure, online. naturally, so, of course. Yeah. So yeah, I but I just I just I've always loved online poker. You can play more. There are more op are more options. Uh, and yeah, going to play live, going to play. Yeah, maybe a few tournaments a day. Hopefully, you don't. You just play one and right. go all the way through. But uh, yeah, I just think in terms of we thought this about live poker. Like, I think it's almost impossible to realize your true expectation when playing live poker. You just can't play enough volume. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I think it's interesting you brought up the the Hendon mob because it doesn't happen very often. But sometimes people will say like, "Well, you don't like look at your Hendon mob. Like, how can you?" How can you give all this information? Like, how can you help people? How can you coach people? Oh. And think like, oh, well, because I don't play, I don't play live poker. Sure. And I think a lot of people go to Hendon Mob and they go, oh, wow, you've got six million in earnings. That's uh, you must be the best player in the world. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, twelve I can... million in buy-ins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exa exactly. Exactly. So it's not. I think if uh, yeah, it's difficult sometimes when I say they say, you know, what do you, you know, you you don't have any any live earnings. Mm. I'm like, yeah you're right. <laughs> right what do you want me to say like i don't i don't really play that much live poker i play a lot more online absolutely um, right so, no, that was, it wasn't it wasn't a knock as, as no, you, no, no, you I, heard no. how i phrased the question but even but, but you brought you brought it up so i think it's yeah. good to uh to talk about it because yeah. i think some people uh i think you see it quite a lot it's like oh yeah can you show me can you send me your hender mob i want to see your right. hender mob before i have coaching with you uh, that happens very rarely to be honest like maybe one, it's happened once or twice in the last few years mm -hmm. and i'll send i'll say yeah sure i mean here's the hender mob but remember <laughs> i don't play live but if you're basing my ability to coach you and to improve your game 
on my Hender mob web that I don't do. It's like saying, oh, uh, I want to get tennis lessons, uh, but can you send me your squash results from right the the three games you've played last year? Like the two things are the two things are, are, are very very different, and it's yeah, there's sure. certainly an element of trying to educate people that Hender mob is not the place to go to to see how good someone is and also like it's the playing versus coaching thing as well right the best players in the world I, i've i've got coaching from some of the best players in the world and i was really disappointed because mm. they were not able to articulate what it was that i was doing wrong and how i could improve that sure. and i've worked with other lesser known players who are really you know exceptional at explaining their thought process so yeah, I always say the Hender Mob thing is a, is an interesting one. I think if you go to Hender Mob looking, you know, okay, let me see this guy's Hender Mobs before you invest in them. Before, like, if you, you know, you see that, all right, here's my Hender Mob. You know, go to my Hender Mob and see uh, before you invest in my Stake Kings or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not a good uh, reflection on on someone's ability. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it's a, it's a good reflection on the experience. So Trisha uh-huh. and I were talking about this the other day. Like, it's a good reflection on on how experienced they are. Right. Uh, but yeah, not a good reflection on, on their ability. I will tap the Hendon Mob page uh, for you for one more thing, though. Uh, your latest results uh, when you went uh, to the Dublin Poker Festival, you took down a side event for close to 10K. That's probably a, a nice feeling. But based on everything you've set up until now, besides playing the poker, did you manage to do uh, anything else? I mean, if you already went and decided to go and play in Dublin, what did you do over there in Ireland? I mean, I've been, I've been to Dublin quite a few times. So I've done stag do's over there where we've gone to the, the Guinness factory mm. and done, you know, walking around and going to Temple Bar and, um, you know, have, enjoying live. I mean, the live music in Dublin is is phenomenal. So I, I would say, like, I've been to, uh, they used to do the uh, the Irish Poker Open at City West in, in oh, Dublin. Oh, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. But they moved it recently. Uh, I've not been to the new venue, but the old venue was amazing. You know, there was some live music. You could stay on site, and wow. they had so many, so many events on. It was fantastic. From what I understand, yeah, you know, this is just from what people have told me uh, because I haven't, I haven't been. Is that the experience this year wasn't as good because they've moved it to the city centre? Um, yeah, I imagine accommodations a lot more expensive. Sure. Food options are a lot more expensive. Um, and that you know we talked about those overheads for you know going and play live events like suddenly it becomes uh you know less appealing to uh to a lot of uh, a lot of players sure. so yeah when i went to, to ireland i had a couple of friends we went and i was just there to play poker so when i do go to these events i will just i will just 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 play poker and if there was an opportunity to combine you know going and doing experiences i i think i would but we were only there for the weekend so was, you know you play the main event play a side event and and go mm-hmm. so you know i mentioned at the beginning you know we haven't really spoken much in person before and you know after what about 20 minutes or so speaking to you anyone who's listening it's clear as day you have an incredibly relaxing voice it's very like soothing it can put you at ease and obviously that reflects your personality like you seem to you know nothing nothing really you know, shakes you up too much. You're pretty cool under pressure, that sort of a thing. I imagine that, you know, translates well as far as being a good coach and being that voice of reason, all that other sort of stuff. I'm wondering, when was the first time, if you can remember, that you got like excited about an online tournament win and what that meant to you? 
So, I mean, that was probably the two dollar turbo that I. Oh that no, I kidding! A long, really? a long time ago. Although then, then so from there, I started to play on full tilt a little bit more and won an eleven dollar tournament for four and a half k. And this happened like relatively soon after the the two k score. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, this was you know I had almost a five figure bankroll within yeah. you know a few months and. This was, uh, you know, early early days. So I thought, okay, well, this is uh, this is great. And interestingly, I think a lot of people would say, well, the, the excitement surely has got to come from when you want to scoop, right? Okay. But for for me, yeah, I don't celebrate success enough. Certainly, mm. as I've got older, I always think that like when I win, it's probably because I got lucky, and when I lose, it was all down <laughs> to me, right? Which is a really poor mindset. um but i use that as a you know opportunity for growth so Mm. when i when i win i I don't take it for granted that i'm the best player in the world i think it's you know you can you can sort of uh what's the word like con yourself into believing Mm. that you won so you must be like the best player in this tournament absolutely not when i won a scoop you know i've reviewed the uh the the whole tournament for my uh, academy and course there were there are lots of spots where i got lucky um you know none none more so than the final table bubble i got nines in against tens and rivered a full house like it's like these but they you know it's always think with tournaments it's about uh setting yourself up so that when the stars do align you make the most of the opportunity oh sure and and i think so how do you do that well by when you do lose Thinking, what did I do wrong? What did I do? What could I do differently? What can I improve on? Mm-hmm. And always trying to work on the things that you can control mm-hmm. rather than the uh, the results. But I think since since then, I've got a lot better at celebrating success. Okay. But I almost feel like success is very much like within poker. How do you measure success? Do you measure it in terms of titles and and results and and money, or do you measure it in terms of like? what you've achieved what you set the things that you can control because there's a lot of variance in in tournaments and i think that's what i said about conning yourself into believing that you're you're really good you celebrate success but then when things go wrong you're like oh well it just must be variance like i'm just you know <laughs> just had a few bad beats like uh, oh, i'm on this massive downswing and there's nothing um there's nothing i can do i never want to be in that position where I believe that like there's always there are always things that you can can work on you can improve and so I'm a big believer in controlling the controllables right sure that's it yeah okay so I will ask then let's say I don't know you get a fifty thousand dollar score a real something really nice something that makes uh you know some sort of tangible difference what does the ideal Gareth James day look like the following day when you're saying okay this is how we're going to celebrate. Take me from morning to night. <laughs> well, so, I mean, I would say like I would, the first thing I would do is probably make sure that I had uh, had the, the tournament and history ready to review. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair. I like it though. It's a very honest, truthful yeah. answer. No, I I, but like, this is what i kind of getting at that in terms of celebrating um, like success, I would, you know, my wife and I would probably go out for dinner. Okay. Or we would, you know, do do something to to celebrate. And she she's a lot better at celebrating my success than I am. Nice. Uh, and she's well, a big a she's, a, she's a helpful a, partner like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 
so I, so I really I really enjoy that um but for me when I have have like results if we measure success by results right there's always things to to, to work on and I think sometimes yeah I have to take a step back and enjoy the success more mm-hmm. um because otherwise like what's the what's the point but to be honest to me like I love the process I love working I love studying I love training I love you know finding ways that I can I can get better every single day and for me sure. that you know that's success that's the, the that's how I can measure it how, what have I done today mm-hmm. to get that a little bit better so like a professional athlete you know Tiger Woods gets up you know before he starts a golf tournament you know, uh, you know LeBron James before he starts playing basketball I'm sure you have some sort of a warm-up routine before you begin an online poker session online poker tournament you know, not with no, without giving away any secrets or something. But what does that sort of routine look like for you at the end of which you feel, OK, I'm ready. I'm in the zone. Let's go. Yeah. So kind of tied into what we just said about the process. Mm-hmm. I always want to be setting myself up for success and success, again, doesn't necessarily mean like winning the tournament because you can't control you can't control that. But what can I do today to make sure that tomorrow I'm better than mm-hmm. I was today? So that's, yeah, for me, that's how I set myself up for success. And that means things like, you know, clearing your workspace, making sure you've got a tidy, uh, tidy office to play, uh, to play poker in. You, there's no distractions. So there's no Discord open or Facebook or um, anything like that. You f- my phone's in another room. Uh, I get all the clients set up, ready to, to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I'll go as far as uh, making sure I've got a list of the tournaments that I want to play. Uh, certainly during a series, I want to make sure that I know when I'm entering a tournament. You know, some tournaments I might late reg. There'll be PKOs where I would, won't want to late reg, so I need mm-hmm. to make sure what you know. I know what time they start, so I can I can register them, and I'll have a list of of tournaments on one screen. So I've got three screens. I've got the main screen in the middle, and then you know uh, two screens either side mm-hmm. uh, that I can that I can use for that. So um, yeah, and then I'll make sure I've got a, a folder open for, with the uh, today's date. And I can save any screenshots in there, you know, especially for PKO um, stuff where the site doesn't save the bounty information into the hand history. So okay. basically any other site other than stars, I think, um, doesn't have the, the bounty information. So having that available when I want to run a sim the next day. And so, again, like it's always what can I do today that's going to help me improve tomorrow. So making sure I've got these screenshots saved, that's going to help me study tomorrow and get better. Right. Um, then I've got a notepad. Uh, that I make notes, anything that kind of goes, oh, do you know what, like I'm continuously getting into this spot and I'm really unsure what to do. Mm-hmm. That's probably going to be a pretty good area for uh, some work this week or this month or this year. Like, nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, and then, uh, yeah, there's, there, you know, so you've got all the software, software open and uh, that then I'll, you know, I'll, I might do some meditation. I might do some breathing exercises, ready to play, um, and then I'll, you know, then I'll play. And mm-hmm. what I think is really important is not just the the warm up, but the the cool down. Okay. I remember um, working with so back in when was it 2018? I was mentored by Patrick Leonard, and Ads. yeah, yeah, and he said uh, he he was very much an advocate of you know don't just end your session and turn the computer off like the session doesn't end when the you bust your last tournament mm. and that stuck with me forever and i always uh, tell that and say that to to everyone i work with now because the the session ends once you've set yourself up to improve the next day so uh-huh. it was a, like an advocate it. of going through some marked hands categorizing some hands putting them into you know 
going through your, I say, poker tracker, if that's what you use, or holder manager, whatever, and going through and saying, okay, these are the spots I want to work on tomorrow. And, and then you've got a clear plan. Because then however the session went, and if it went really badly, you'd know, okay, well, I've got a really clear plan for this week or tomorrow as to what to work on. Mm. If it went really well, you know that you're not um, going to be complacent. You're still going to make progress. You're still going to improve. So whilst it's really helpful when you have a bad session, you go, okay, let's focus on what we can control. This book, it, was a, you know, it wasn't a good session, but we're not just going to turn the computer off. Right. I think when you have a good session, I think that everything goes well. It's too easy to just go, all right, yeah, let's uh, yeah, it's go on Discord. Let's tell everyone that we just won a few <laughs> tournaments. This is great. And not focus on getting getting better. And sure. So, yeah, that was that's how I would warm up and and uh, and cool down. Then you can, yeah, once you're set up, you're like, okay, yeah, you know, I know what to work on next. Yeah, you know, next week, then you can turn the computer off. Right. Okay. Got it. Um. Okay. So, a lot of poker players, I would say, the absolute overwhelming majority of poker players, blessed with a skill set such as yours, and especially the discipline that it takes to constantly be working on oneself, they would say, and they do say. I'm all in. I'm focusing on being a professional player and doing the best I can, working on my game, improving, moving up in the limits, the whole deal. Now, sure, you know, you used to be a teacher and such, but what is it that compels you to say, okay, I'm not only going to do this with, you know, and become a better player and improve, but I want to train other people to do a better job of it. Like, why be a coach? That's a, that's a great question so i always I, I love helping other people i love you know being able to to look at someone's game and say you know this is this is what where you're going wrong and this is how we can fix it mm. um and and being able to to change someone's life in that way to be able mm. to give them an opportunity to, again to to be successful um you know i can't guarantee they will make loads of money because no no coach in the world can do that Mm-hmm. But everything we work on when I work in uh, my academy and my group coaching and one-on-one mm-hmm. is to what can you do today to make that progress? I've already already mentioned. So mm-hmm. you're making that little bit of progress every day. That's going to compound over time. And that's something that I feel very confident I can help uh, people with. So, you know, I don't want to be disingenuous and say, okay, work with me and you can make 100K in a year. Some mm-hmm. players will. Some players absolutely won't. I can. The variance in tournaments is is very high. So, but what I can, um, as I said, feel confident in in helping you with is setting your, setting yourself up for uh, success. So, mm-hmm. making sure that we identify areas of your game that need improvement, and then how you know working out how we actually go about doing that, and having that accountability, that support, that mentoring to um, to make sure that you're actually putting the uh, the work in. Yeah. Right. So I, I love. Yeah, I love. I love doing that. And, and honestly. For a long time, I've preferred to coach than to play. No kidding, um, really. Wow. Yeah. Um, I love. Yeah, yeah, I just, I just, I just love it. I mean, I, I think I was born to be a teacher. That's why I went mm-hmm. into and was a music teacher for six years. Mm-hmm. I love it. I, w- I want to to teach this. I, you know, I have um, understanding and 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 I can I can share that knowledge and understanding with uh, with with others. And that's what that's that's what I want to do. So yeah, I I, I love it. And uh, certainly yes. For, for this year i've done a lot more coaching than um than playing and i think i think now like uh, i really like the the lifestyle that that comes with that as well so right. it's not a lot of late nights it's um you know it during series you know i will you know i i will play a lot of poker 
Um, so you know, the scoops, the W coops, the whatever. Sure. But um, yeah, a lot of the time, you know, I might only play on a Sunday, and the rest of the time, I'd spend coaching, making content, um, you know, nice. checking checking in with everybody that I work with, and I'm working with, you know, a lot of a lot of players at the moment. So mm-hmm. you know, so it's it's great. So yeah, I much prefer this this lifestyle, and then it allows me to go and do things. I mean, it's you know, kind of going to show my age here now, but like I'm actually starting to enjoy gardening. Um, which I never <laughs> thought I would say <laughs> but getting outside going and doing activities you know I'm at the gym three times a week as nice. I uh, mentioned before I'm I run my first 10k um so I've been running twice a week so five you know f- I'm exercising five times a week and wow. in the best shape I've ever been in that's great and in terms of you know, physical mental health is 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 great um and there's 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 a lot less variance when it comes to coaching mm-hmm. so if I can combine things that I really enjoy with helping other people uh, whilst it fits in with a, a lifestyle choices, you know, mm-hmm. that's great. Then for me, like it's a, it's a no brainer to, to focus a lot of attention and uh, my time and effort on, on coaching rather than Brilliant. playing. Brilliant. So let's talk about variants of a slightly different uh, variety, I guess, you know, like when you think of like a, a stand-up comedian, you know, most of them will go ahead they have their routine prepared memorized they'll go deliver it get on stage the audience laughs and they get off stage and then there are some comedians who very dependent on audience engagement you know hecklers that sort of a thing and you never know what you'll get from one time to the next with this person's performance so by the same token i'm wondering when you do your coaching one-on-one to what degree is how a session's going to go dependent on what you've done to you know know your your skill set and how to coach versus the questions that may come from the student like how much is it dependent on what they ask you versus i guess you know your analysis of their game mm. so yeah I, I did quite a lot of one-on-one coaching where i just turn up and say okay what do you want to work on today right and if i think back to when i was a teacher if i'd done that like, right, kids, what do you want to learn today? And they'll be like, well, we don't. We just want to watch a video. All right, okay, great. So that approach is is not not very good. And that, yeah, I, I'm not sure if I mentioned it earlier on when I said I'd worked with a lot of you know, fantastic poker players mm-hmm. who were just completely unprepared. Mm-hmm. And they were, they're not coaches. They're poker players who, uh, are, yeah, are very good, but maybe not good at explaining, you know, thought process or uh, concepts very well. Mm-hmm. So... Instead, I, I I find out a lot about the student before I start working with them, and okay. I've got a pretty clear system that yeah. You know, there's like a, a three step system I use a lot with it in most of my coaching, which is let's work out what's going wrong at the moment. So let's identify your leaks. Let's set up a, and create a plan for for improvement. Let's make sure that you're studying effectively, uh, so you're you're working on the things that you can work on. <clears throat> excuse me, every day. And then let's just make sure that your fundamentals are actually as solid as you think they are. Because as poker players, we're very good at thinking that we're better than we are. And mm. I think there's a lot of players, yeah, they come for coaching, they think they're better than they are. And sometimes that can it be quite humbling for yeah, for players to say, actually, the way you're approaching these spots is not it's not good. Um, hmm. you know, I might not be as harsh as that, but you <laughs> might say, okay, let's just think, let's try and think about this in a, in a slightly different way. Got so it. those, those three things are just, they, they form the, the, 
the framework of, of everything I do, whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's the training play like the pros program that I run and the academy as well. So I'm always listening to what they are struggling with. Okay. And then helping them with that. Now, sometimes I'll listen and I'll say, okay, yeah, that's a really interesting sport. How often does that come up? And they're like, well, it happens like at least once a session. I'm like, okay, so you're playing 2,000 hands in a session. You want to spend time focusing on one thing that happens every 2,000 hands. Mm. That's not going to help your win rate that much. Let's not focus on it. Let's focus on things that happen you know, more uh, more often, like the, the bread and butter spots. Right. You... Wise, wise words. Studied words, uh, I would say. Um, well, you know, it, it's, again, almost like everyone realizes this at this point, how much the game has changed. Uh, over the last five years, 10 years, 15 years, you know, how much players have gotten better and the learning curve is, you know, so much, it's, it's so much easier to study and, and to get better. You know, people in just a few months can have, you know, hundreds of thousands of hands uh, under their belt and, you know, be amazing players, even though they've never seen a deck of cards, uh, you know, prior to that. How about on the coaching realm? You know, like when the game has changed and people have gotten so much better, how do you sort of need to adapt adjust and up your game as a coach i mean you've been doing it since 2012 and here you are still doing it today in 2023 what have you had to do to you know get to the next level of coaching that you're still at it yeah the, the first thing that comes into my head is uh there was a tweet by kevin rabichow uh, mm. who is someone else who uh you know uh, focuses on 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 great on great coaching he's a, also a tremendous player yep and he posted like how do if you're a coach how do you work on improving as a coach mm. and the, and the the responses to this tweet were very much like how do you get better as a player oh interesting i thought huh. this was fascinating and there was one on uh, pedagogy but really there's yeah there wasn't there wasn't really anything at all and this got me thinking that what are we doing as as coaches to uh, to improve? I, I mean, my I spend a lot of time making sure that I can uh, get the most out of the software. That um, you know, because the way that poker has changed is a lot of you know, solver solver based study yeah. and and learning. And some people are for it, some people are against it. Some people think you know you're it's a the wrong sort of approach. You know, we should you know, this whole sort of GTO versus exploit debate now. I'm very much like I can use the solver. You know, I use PyoSolver, Holden Resources Calculator. I use DTO to uh, to train. So these are you know the three thing three softwares that I would would recommend, and I will be able to teach you. You know, remember that I said like I want to help you improve. I don't just want to be. Uh, I don't want to. What's the expression like? Um, teach a man to fish. You know, the whole uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, give yeah, a man a fish, you feed his family for a day, or you know, sure. teach a man to to fish you feed them for a lifetime um so that's that's what i want to uh that's why I, I always uh focus on so making sure that i fully understand how to use software um and and being able to then share that but also then the next part is i remember that i posted a video on youtube and it was some uh, it was uh based on on solver output and the guy said yeah this is why i will never use a solver because they don't tell you why Huh. They don't tell you the reason why they're betting or uh -huh. checking or whatever. And I thought, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That's our job. Yeah. And especially wow. as coaches, mm -hmm. we got to get better at uh, understanding and interpreting what solvers are solvers are doing. Sure. And I remember somebody in uh, the new co cohort of the train and play program asked, like, will there will there be some stuff uh, in the course about 
like how to play against weaker players who are not playing like a solver. And I said, well, absolutely. Right. So we're not just all just going to try to emulate a solver and then see what happens. Yeah. And, and but the 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 response I, I gave them was that I've been in that position where when I first started using solvers, I would try and emulate a solver rather than understanding why it was doing what it was doing. Uh -huh. If you can if you try and emulate a solver all the time, you're missing key key bits of information. Right. Whereas if you can work out why it's doing what it's doing, then you can then you can understand, yeah, but actually humans don't don't do that. Humans aren't finding those those bluffs. Uh -huh. So how do we then go from there? So I'll always be an advocate for solvers as a starting point we have to yeah I, I don't honestly think that you can exploit someone without understanding what the spot looks like in a solver and and then you know some people will dis disagree with that and that's you know that's fine uh but i yeah start with the solver output understand why not just you know try to emulate it and then you can go oh but you know let's think about this how right. many of those bluffs are humans finding especially you know i coach a lot of low and mid stakes mtt players mm -hmm. how many are they finding are you finding those you're studying every day are you finding those bluffs and they say absolutely not okay so this guy you've never seen before you've got seven hands on him do you think suddenly somehow he's going to find these uh the these bluffs right. and yeah you know, again you can go back and forth and you can say yeah but you know maybe he's he did find it this time so yeah but on the whole the sort of balance of probability like he's not going to find as many people just don't you know in, in low and mid stakes mtts find say enough bluffs for this line so therefore, how do we, you know, how do we, how do we adjust? Sure. And everything you said is obviously uh, perfectly aligned with not being results oriented. I mean, you remind me of a story that happened to me when I was in college at some point, as I turned in a paper and I got an 85, but there was no comments, no feedback. Mm. No, you did this right. You did this wrong. And I'm like, that's not acceptable. And I remember pe pestering the teacher. I'm like, you know, I don't care as much at the grade as more of like, you know, how do I get a 90 or a 95 or a hundred next time? And in response, and like, and I put it in the box, and the in response I got, okay, here's your ninety, but still no feedback. <laughs> this teacher has failed. You know, yeah. uh, the teacher shall remain nameless. But like, clearly, no cheap, no teaching, no educating, no instructing was done when you know they didn't understand. The student wants feedback. The student wants to know how to get the better grades. Again, not being results oriented, but process oriented, and uh, you know, definitely resonates. Um, and you did mention. Uh, Kevin Rabichow, folks, that's episode number 101. Uh, if you want to go back and listen to his pearls of wisdom uh, as well. Um, so you had mentioned the um the uh private, you know, the private coaching you do, the group coaching you do, and also the MTT poker school, uh, specifically the course that you designed entitled Train and Play Like the Pros. So there's a ton of poker training content out there these days. It's no secret, lots of, you know. I want a rival program, so to speak, you know, and it's not a, a business or marketing meeting, but what are the USPs? What makes Gareth James's program stand out? And and I guess, who is it geared towards? Hmm. So, yeah, I'm actually really glad that you asked that because there are, there's, there's some wonderful training content out there. My biggest gripe with it, well, maybe not gripe, but this is because this is how I've filled the, filled the gap, I think is that it's very generic. It's very, there's a lot of content. So if you go on most training sites, there's a ton of content and they might be able to filter them for different types of content from hand history reviews to theory, to solvers, to, um, you know, live play and explains, whatever it happens to be. You can filter it, great. But how is that helping you with your leaks? Mm. So my program focuses on what 
you know, I talked about the, the three-step system. What is it you're doing wrong right now? And let's work on, on, on fixing that because everybody's different. Everyone's right. got different leaks. Right. Yes. You could, like, you, I'm not saying you can't get a lot of uh, value from these training sites because you absolutely can. And I've been a member myself of most of them. Right. Okay. So I, so I, I, I get a lot of value from them, but the one thing that I think was, is missing from, from a lot of them is how is it going to help me when I log into that training site? You might not even know what you, what it is that you need to work on. Mm. So training play out the pros is set up to identify exactly what it is that you need to work on in the next eight weeks to, to, uh, to see a huge improvement in your game. And remember I said like, you know, we can't guarantee that you're going to win a hundred grand in the next eight weeks, but we can make sure that you're fixing things that need fixing. We can identify mm. those areas and we can get you training in the right, uh, in the right way. So yeah, that's, that's how it, you know, that's the, the, the big USP is that, uh, and it, it's also actually like this is the feedback I get. They said, you know, what's I ask when I first start a conversation with with someone, uh, and I always try to do this with people that come into that program. It's not a case of like oh, I just put it up available for sale on the on the site and see who turns up. I will speak to everybody uh, about about joining to make sure that they're they're right for the program, um, and mm. I'm you know my coaching's right for them uh, as well. So. The key, uh, one of the key things I said, okay, what, what's made you reach out? Like what training have you had so far? What's happened with it? And why are you reaching out to me? Uh, a lot of them say, yeah, I've been a member of this site, but I wasn't really making any progress. Or well, I've got this course, but I'm not really seeing any progress because I don't know what I'm doing wrong. So this, yeah, it's like that whole unconscious incompetence thing. If you don't know what you don't know, how do you know how to fix it? So that's the, that's the, the big thing. Uh, that, that I that I work on, I'd be able to tell you very quickly what it is you need to fix, mm. and then we work out uh, a clear plan for for making sure that you fix it. So I mean, I'm it's a hunch, and call me out on it if I'm wrong. But you know, as someone a proper educator and instructor, I'm guessing it's happened in the past where a student has reached out, approached you, and told you something that your program doesn't do. Have you pointed them in the right direction and say, you know, do this instead, go to a different coach, go to a different program? Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest one is uh, somebody signed up for one-on-one -on -one coaching um, and we got into the first, uh, no, so I sent them a, an email to say, you know, because I want to know about where they're at, what their game is um, and, and the areas that they want to focus on. And they were a cash game player. Uh, oh, so that's okay. the first, <laughs> the first, that, and that happens quite frequently. I think a lot of you know the the MTT and MTT Poker School is a multi-table <laughs> tournament, and it's amazing how many people don't know that. Uh, I don't know whether I need to change the the, the you, name. You of put the company in parentheses, or... <laughs> not cash games. You put not <laughs> cash game Poker School. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, maybe I should do that. Uh, so that's the first one. So I always recommend as a cash game coach that I always recommend, um, and I always send send everyone to him. Um, sometimes mindset coaching. Um, I'm not a trained psychologist. Okay. So I will pass Trisha's details on. Yeah, you get right. Exactly. Um, yeah. So always do that. Um, and then once, certainly when people have gone through the program, they'll say, you know, what, what should I look to do, uh, to do next? And there, there, there have been some times when I will say, okay, I think actually you should go and do this mm -hmm. course or this program next. And that's not, not me because I think it's yeah. I'm not precious. I'm not like I don't need everyone to work with me. If mm. something else is going to be better, a better fit for you, then I'm going to recommend it. 
And that's, again, it comes down to actually listening to them, finding out what it is they're struggling with, and then pointing them in the right direction. A lot of the time, it's my program. But if it yeah. isn't, absolutely, then mm. I, I, yeah, I've, I, I don't, I don't worry. Okay, if the program's not right for them, there's something better or something different out there available for them. I'm, I'm yeah, I'm always going to recommend it. There's a lot about you, Gareth. Uh, you know, props to you. Um, you mentioned uh, Dr. Trisha Cardner uh, a number of times. She was episode uh, 61, by the way. Uh, folks, go ahead and listen to that one as well. That's a good compliment to this episode, I must say. Uh, back in 2017 is when you began co-hosting the Poker on the Mind podcast together with her. Uh, it's dedicated to discussing tournament strategy and peak poker performance. As of this recording, uh, you produced over 175 episodes. I'm wondering, how did you first come to partner with Dr. Cardner in the first place? And beyond that, it's a very unique niche for a podcast. What made you both say, hey, there's an audience for what we want to put out there? Yeah, so back in, yeah, as you said, 2017, maybe it was a year before that, 2016, uh, she and I were both making training videos for Red Chip Poker. Okay, sure. And I knew that she was a mindset coach and I was struggling. I was on a downswing. So I reached out to her on Twitter. And because we were both working for Red Chip, she gave me some free advice, I guess. Or maybe that's just how she is. And she likes to impart wisdom for free. Or it'll cost you uh, one Red Chip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I was really grateful that, uh, for this. And then Red Chip had a, um, a meetup in Vegas. It was uh -huh. a, a place sure. called, I think it was Buzio's, but it doesn't exist anymore. It's a right. It was a seafood restaurant in the Rio. Yep. And we went there and I met her uh, in, in real life. And I know that she was doing another podcast with Elliot Rowe at the time. Uh -huh. um, but I, honestly, I'm, I'm not sure what happened with that. Um, what you know? But she said, do you want to do a podcast? together and uh, i said yeah i think that'd be really good i think we can do like you know focus on tournaments which is my bag and and mindset which is yours uh but also like i'm very into i read a lot of about psychology and, and mindset peak performance high performance habits things mm -hmm. like this so i thought i can share you know my understanding but from you know the tournament players point of view and trisha plays tournaments mm -hmm. so it was yeah it seemed like a a great fit for us to uh, to, to record and yeah it's amazing we've done over 175 episodes right uh, yeah it's uh it's great pretty cool uh well you know from one joint venture to another you know before we get to your current book uh that you just released the final table uh the first book that you released back in 2019 it was purpose purposeful practice for poker with dr cardner so, you know, like, again, it seemed like a, you know, a good symbiotic relationship and, you know, good strengths that each of you have and bring that you can, you know, share with students, with listeners. What made you say, hey, let's write a book? And what, I guess, would you say were your your biggest takeaways from the experience of writing a book and, and partnering with someone and doing that? Yeah, so Trisha reached out to, you know, to, to ask if, if I've had an, you know, would would like to to write a book. We've been working for quite a while together on the podcast. Mm -hmm. She knows about my background in education. She herself has a background in education sure. as well. So that we so we knew that we could we could write a book about studying poker. And it's a thing, you know, it's a book, an area that that is missing again. You know, we've got a lot of books on strategy, mm -hmm. but there's no strategy about how to learn. You know, a lot of uh it's a long time for a lot of people between when they go to school and when they start playing poker, you know, you could be 50, 60 years old. You haven't been in school for 30, 40 years. You might've forgotten what you 
um, what you need to learn. But also okay. the way that we learn in school is a really poor way to try to learn poker. Okay. So if you try and, you know, sit and watch a training video, uh, like your, you know, your teachers at the front of the class or your lecturers at the front of the, of the auditorium, there's, that's not a, a great way to learn. So we just, you know, we wanted to, to, explain how active learning is going to be a lot better than than passive learning okay. purposeful practice is a lot more than um you know just trying to watch a few videos listen to a podcast read a book and right then, you know try and try and somehow get better at a game if you're just gonna you know passively consume content so yeah we that, that's that's kind of how it how it went she spoke to the publishers she already has two books with dmb publishing uh-huh. and so she approached them and they said yeah let's let's do it and so trisha and i um spent you know, quite a long time working on working on this book and and uh she she did it definitely you know focused on the sort of the the mindset the peak performance set, uh side of things uh-huh. i focused a lot on the the strategy of of learning and um you know ways to uh again you know links back to what we said earlier about setting yourself up for success setting you know having a clear plan for actually what you what you want to work on uh, and some sometimes when i think you know when i talk about that i think some people will really resonate with that like yes i want a plan some people are like no i want to wing it i just want to go in and and i w- want things to be less formal and i mm-hmm. i can understand that for sure but i think um yeah that i i always i always do this on our podcast i always think of like a really good um like um proverb or, or something like that but, and then end up bu- butchering it but it's like pre- plan to is the plan and preparation one you know if you prepare fail to prepare you uh prepare to fail you know okay uh, okay fail to yeah. fail to plan plan to fail uh-huh, um sure. i've definitely butchered that so again guys i'm really sorry <laughs> if you if you want butchered proverbs and sayings you know definitely listen to our podcast um <laughs> but yeah if you don't if you if, if you don't plan if you don't you know set yourself up then it's sort of um what's, i mean you know i don't want to swear on the on the podcast but um going to the toilet into the wind i'll say you know Aha, you, i see you know that expression <laughs> uh, sure yeah <laughs> gotcha uh well you gave uh we have to give the shout out you mentioned D poker publishing uh my good friends are our, our mutual very good friends dan Adelman and Byron Jacobs, they were our guests also on uh, episode number 89. Uh, it's good. You know, it's, it's folks, you know, I, I do this all the time, obviously, in our episodes. You know, we, it's not that there's a, you know, a connect the dots kind of thing going on between the episodes, but, you know, I mention it because, hey, we've heard of this D&B Poker Publishing and they publish interesting, but let's meet the publishers. It's a, a good next step if you're into the podcast and haven't listened to it before. Uh, so by all means, go back and, and hear that episode. And, you know, a naturally a good tie into your second book, uh, the one that you published alone with D&B Poker. Just you wrote it entitled uh, The Final Table. It focuses on precisely that, the latter stages of a poker tournament. So I'm wondering, you know, I don't want to get too nitty gritty in the book, but maybe sort of take us through the stages of, okay, I'm going to write a book all the way till I'm holding the book in my hands. So what's what's that process looking like for you? I mean, you obviously have a lot to balance between your poker play, your coaching, your training program. You know, when did you fit this into your schedule? How long did the whole thing take? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So I... I had this idea. I said to my wife, I said, I really want to write a new book. Uh, I'm going to contact DMB and say, you know, I want to do a book around ICM, final table, something, something along those lines, probably final table, because I've not seen a, a final table strategy book. 
uh, before. So I was going to message them. I was going to send an email the next day. And I woke up, opened my emails, and there was an email from Byron. No kidding. Wow. Uh, like the craziest. Uh, I, so I, I read the email and it says, hi, Gareth. I uh, really want to discuss writing a new book. Can we arrange a Zoom call? Okay. I thought, okay, this is this is this is weird. You know how you, like sometimes you think that you know um, the Alexa's listening to you, and <laughs> yes. suddenly, right? Byron's got a mic somewhere in the house because this is this is too freaky. I went down and spoke to my wife about it and said, "You'll never guess who just emailed me." She's like, "Who?" I said, "Byron from DMB." He's like, "Wants to arrange a call." She's like, "That's crazy! Like how how does how does the universe work in that way? Like, I've never believed that the universe does crazy things like that, but you know, there's some sort of." Weird, weird thing going on okay. so we arrange a call for the next day and he says yeah i've got a, a title for a book in mind it's called the final table and i said you're joking <laughs> wow. like, this is like this is what i i, I was going to come to you with like literally this this week uh and he said okay well sounds like we're on the same page you know pun intended <laughs> uh so let's uh yeah let's let, let's go ahead and, and and do it wow um so yeah so i signed i signed a contract and they that was in july of last year mm -hmm. so 2022 and they said we need the book by first of january 2023 so that okay. they had enough time to get it out for a uk release in june and a us release in july i think it was sure. so that's all good i thought okay well i know i, I want to write this book i know how i'm gonna how i'm gonna put it together um let's let's get things started let's see how many words i need to write every single day and they wanted it to be around I think 75,000 words minimum. Pretty standard, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, let's break that down. How many words is that per whatever? And I wanted to to write <laughs> the, to finish the first draft by about October. Okay. So that then I could edit it in November, get it proofread in December and, and then send it, uh, send it off. Uh, and DMB do their own um, proofreading, but I wanted sure. to, you know, to get some poker players uh, to, to read it as well, to make mm -hmm. sure um Know, to get that it that it made sense from a from a player's uh, perspective uh -huh. and so what i worked out is that if i did five days if i wrote five days a week i did 800 words a day it's four thousand words uh then it will take me whatever 20 weeks to uh -huh. just under 20 weeks but then i went and played live poker which is unusual uh in <laughs> like the next month and then i went on my honeymoon the, the month after that so uh -huh. i missed a few weeks so suddenly 800 words a day became 1400 words a day <laughs> that's hard words that's a tough week. <laughs> but i got it i got it done the first draft complete in um in, in october but on just, wow good for you okay um, yeah that's and then i managed to you know edit it uh, took a you know took a whole month of editing there's a lot of as you go through, it doesn't seem so much, you know, when you think about, wow, 75,000 words and you do your first 800 and you think, I've got a long way to go here. <laughs> but then if, if you commit to doing something every day mm -hmm. and you know, okay, well, I've got 19, 20 weeks to do this, then I will hit 75,000 if right. I continue you know, with that consistency. Mm -hmm. um, that That's actually my word of 2023 is consistency. You know, okay. what, you know just... Just be consistent. So I mentioned earlier about the the gym, exercising. You know, um, might be meditation. It might be studying, training, uh, posting social media content, uh, sure. things like this. Whatever it is, uh, just want to be consistent with that. And 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 it's consistency that you know, again compounds over time. Mm -hmm. um, so whether it's your poker game or your, you know, your health or 
um your social media game whatever it is like it's uh you know just you've got to be consistent with us all that's what everybody says if you're consistent with it you're going to see uh see growth and success so um, and when you held yeah. the book in your hands when the when that finally came to how that feel no exactly oh that was that was incredible yeah so i submitted the the book and then it was a, there was a long period of like where they have to format the book sure and they have to edit it they have to um you know maybe the language I don't know if they rewrote it for an American audience. Uh, <laughs> I tried to make sure a lot of the English spelling stayed in there. The, you know, the S and the Z thing. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, because in purposeful practice, it was all Z. And uh-huh. I thought, no, I'm not having it. I'm a UK author. I want it in, Eng- I want it in English, English or British English. Sure. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, hopefully that stayed in. Um, but yeah, formatting, editing, and they did all of that. And then they sent it back and they said, can you make sure you you, know, you got to read it again? Mm-hmm, read sure. the whole book again, you know, and then, uh, yeah, then it went off to the to the printers in about April. And that, yeah, that process takes takes quite a while. Yeah. Uh, but then when, yeah, the box. So I got uh, I got 10 books delivered. Nice. Uh, before it was released and yeah it was pretty amazing to be honest. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome like and and that so comparing this to when purposeful practice came out or mm. when i want to scoop like i didn't really celebrate success in, in the same way but when this book came out i thought oh wow. wow this is this is what i wanted to do for a long time i always wanted to write a book when i was growing mm. up i thought i want to write a book and then i wrote a book with trisha but because it was we wrote it together it wasn't really mine right i didn't mm. feel like it was partially mine right whereas right. this one this is just everything Right. Yeah, apart from Phil Helmuth's amazing forward, like it's like every every all seven, I think it was like seventy eight thousand words in the end. They're all mine, right? So, and this was this is my baby, and this is yeah, you know, some yeah, you know, something that I created with consistency over six months. You know, between uh, July to December uh, to uh, to produce, and then yeah, the actual having the copy is is great. And then what's even better is then I see uh, a lot of players posting on social media with. The picture of the book you know they've bought the yeah. book uh and they're working through it and we've had uh you know the amazon reviews are starting to come through as well so that's really you know really nice to to see that and a lot of um i think a lot of people describe it as like so many light bulb moments in this and that's why i wanted to give so so many bits of information that'll be able to help you with your own approach to mm-hmm. uh, to final tables and that you know it's an important stage of the tournament it's quite funny. A lot of people have said, "Have you got a book on how to make the final table?" Because I, <laughs> <laughs> I said that's my next book. We'll, uh, we'll work on we'll work on that one. But for now, you know, when you do make a final table, it's the business end of a tournament. It's where the most money is won and lost. You see, you know, you can go onto YouTube and watch whole cards up footage and see mm. just so, how much, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars in equity are being uh, burnt every mm. um, on every on every final table and yeah this book will go some way to uh, to help you know preventing you from, you know making sure that you're not punting on a final table sure. and making you think things through in the right way but also set again set keep circling back to this but setting yourself up for success mm-hmm. making continuous improvement there's a whole section in the book on how to actually apply you know the the ideas and the strategies not only to playing but to studying and getting better every day because I can't put everything in the in seventy eight thousand words, of course, because there's, there are just so many different variables, and that's like, and that again comes back to what we were saying earlier about don't try and emulate a solver. So I've used a lot of solver examples in the book mm-hmm. because they will be timeless. You know, it's not my my opinion about how the meta is or how people approach these spots. Sure. The solver is not going to change very much, um, if at all. So, but we use that as a baseline. 
-hmm. and we understand okay so the so oh this is interesting the solver is four bet jamming ace five suited but not ace eight suited why is it doing that mm -hmm. what can we what can we discover from this and then you look at the range of hands that folds versus the four bet and then it starts to make sense so this is what i always encourage you to do is when you're running your own sims is to is you look at the the solving thing okay what what is going on here why am i jamming ace five suited well another good example is like it might jam fours but not fives or it might jam two threes and fours but not fives and sixes and the reason it jams two threes and fours is because it can get fives and sixes to fold mm -hmm. but if you jam sixes you're not getting sevens to fold so right. logically it doesn't make sense so of a lot course. of uh and it, I, again like i'm gonna um shout out uh patrick leonard for this because when he mentored me he was very much a, a case of like you don't need a solver to be successful you need oh. to just be able to think logically and that mm -hmm. again that stuck with me um since mm -hmm. since then and so that's something I, I i describe in the book is it's how how do you think logically how do you uh approach these spots logically to uh because then you'll find actually i'm you know a lot closer to the solver than i thought i could be mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but i understand you know understand the reasons why sure well you did uh very quickly you 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 name dropped the master of name dropping bill helmuth how did that come <laughs> to be that he ended up writing the forward for you uh i'd love i'd love to say that it was uh it was all my doing but uh <laughs> it, it wasn't anything to do with me so uh oh. dmb uh work have worked with phil Sure. um on his poker uh, on brand, books before yeah mm -hmm. yeah uh and so they uh they approached him and said we've got this you know this book um, okay we'd like would you be prepared to write a forward for it well, so, so nice Phil, Phil read it and then uh and then wrote the forward and what i think's really good I, I didn't mention this in the book but i think it's worth talking about now mm -hmm. is for for a long time i think phil is uh sort of uh what's the what's the word criticized for his approach to short stack play which might be like raise folding off eight big blinds yeah. for example but then we learn from solvers that that's a thing so <laughs> phil's been right all along and uh we should uh, we should celebrate his uh his approach to short stack play rather than uh criticize it kudos to phil i mean it's one thing to get all that positive feedback you've been mentioning from students from people who bought the book sharing pictures of them holding it uh it's another to get positive feedback from a fellow professional poker player, coach, and author, specifically someone who I know you admire as well, Dara O'Kearney. Uh, he said of your book, uh, quote, reading and understanding this book will give you the edge you need next time you make a final table. What about Dara's feedback is so validating to you? Well, as a fellow author and, and, and poker player and coach, like, um, you know, I've known Dara for quite a few years now and we met through a mutual friend um goes by the online name of dwight ninja who ended up being my best man at my wedding oh uh, but we met at uk ipt and then i met dara after that and he couldn't remember meeting me at uk ipt so i must have had such a <laughs> lasting impression uh you know such a memorable conversation but, uh, <laughs> well, i can't remember where that second time was but uh anytime that we you know we been in vegas we'd always meet up and, and things like that um but i you know he's obviously got his own books uh end game strategy oh, and sure. i spoke I, I did reach out to him uh, and i said like um 
know, what's your next book going to be about? Because I'm putting out this one called The Final Table and I don't right. want to, you know, have to compete with you sure. uh, on this. And he said, oh, no, we're doing I think they were doing GTO Poker Simplified at the time. Mm -hmm. So I said, OK, that's great. Um, but they've obviously got end game strategy, which focuses on yeah the end game, but not the final table specifically. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's great to get that um, that feedback. I had some other feedback from um, Jack Sinclair, who final tabled the main event few years ago won yeah. the wsop europe main event as well um that was you know that was great um so yeah it's, it's yeah it's it's nice it's, it's validating um but i yeah i'm confident that the there's a lot of really good um information uh in the book and it's an area that everyone needs to to work on and that people say like who's the book for i always say like you know i work with low and mid stakes mtt players like they're going to get a lot from this but the almost all of well, there were some examples from my own game, my own final tables in this book, but a lot of the hands were taken from high stakes final tables mm. online. And, you know, the players you think are the best players in the world <laughs> are making huge mistakes. And I know that you could argue, you could say, yeah, but they're the best players in the world. They probably did it for a reason. But sometimes that's very difficult to come up with a reason. I, I'm very open minded. I'm very much like, OK, let's, you know, rather than say, well, they've not played it like a solver, so they must be terrible. Let's. Mm have a look at it and think what could what what could be some reasons why they've chosen to do this uh -huh. sometimes i can't find any and that's yeah. uh you know yeah. uh, and i think uh, are they do they not understand icm do they <laughs> do they not care they're too rich like what what is it that's, that, that's going on i can't work it out um and, and i think that's okay like i don't think we need to put the best players in the world on a pedestal like uh -huh. we're all we're all human we're going to make mistakes sometimes and sometimes the tournament the money for some people doesn't doesn't matter they want the win so if you've got somebody playing for a win on a final table they're going to make plays they're going to make decisions and, and uh, take lines that don't make sense from an icm point of view but make a lot of sense from chippy uh, chippy v so yeah um yeah there, there could be an element of that but i don't want to to say why you know some people seem to be punting you know left right and center that's up to them they can make those decisions but yeah, yeah a lot of the examples were from very well-known players and I half thought about leaving the screen names in the examples. Where I thought mm, this could could create some <laughs> that problems. could backfire. Yeah. <laughs> so um, my last question for you, you know, the Cards Chat is the friendliest poker podcast in town. Um, I'm kind of curious, you know, whether at the live felt or more more likely, I'm guessing at the on live uh, online felt, has there been a player in particular that's been you know friendly to you with whom you've developed any sort of friendship or, or lasting relationship with that you'd like to give a shout out to uh well yeah i mean that's a it's a, a great question you obviously already mentioned daro um it's, it's interesting a few years ago um there's a there's a player i don't know if you've heard of him he's called uh espen yourstadt and uh, yeah um, he won like uh what was it, he won a tournament events, like last year or something. yeah yeah um <laughs> And I knew him through Dara, but he was a sponsored pro for Unibet at the time. Correct, I remember. And yeah. we were we were studying together, and uh, so that that was quite interesting. And then I was, um, uh, as I said, mentored by Pads. Pads mentored a group of us. Uh, mm. So my my friends. So I, I'll, I'll give them a shout out. So um, Dwight Ninja, Doobie Fish, Van Helsing, and Fugly. We were part of this group that Pads mentored in in 2018 for about mm. six to nine months something like that mm -hmm. and that was that was phenomenal 
But then it, it almost feels like worlds collide because then suddenly I see Pads and Espen are teaming up and they won, won the tag the team tag together. Team, yeah. Uh-huh. I thought, okay, great. Uh, this is yeah, <laughs> this is this is super. And then Espen went on to to win the 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 main event. So right. um, it's it's interesting because we were studying quite a few years ago. Um, and he's just gone, you know, just gone on to to, to bigger and better things. So that's that, that's amazing. Um, uh, so yeah, I do feel like I that I don't want to call it the Midas touch, but um, a lot of players that I've met have gone on to be very successful. So in 2016, um, I was introduced to Fedor Holtz just before he went on an absolute tear. We've heard um, of him. Yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I I don't I don't want to say that it was because. Um, because we shook hands but you know <laughs> that 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 was something that happened before he uh, won several millions of dollars <laughs> right and you heard it here first folks so on the <laughs> on the cards chat podcast uh thank you again very much gareth james thank you all for tuning in once again to another episode of cards chat if you guys want this conversation to continue well you are in luck we've got even more gareth james for you in the form of questions from our community exclusively on the cards chat youtube channel so head on over to youtube check that out and don't forget you can always submit your questions for our guests yourself over at the cards chat poker forums please be sure to give us a good review on itunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you'd like the show until next time i'm robbie straczynski and you can follow me on twitter at card player life i wish you all a wonderful day cards chat the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community